0: Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this evening, and we're inviting you to be there with us. You can follow along in a Bible, but we've also given you an option as we're working through the book of Proverbs that we've kind of put together a, a, a booklet. So hopefully you have one if you're here this evening. It's the same one you would have used last week, We're printing out a booklet for each chapter of the book of Proverbs, so this is Proverbs 3, and we made our way halfway through that last week, Uh, but we're going to finish it this week, hopefully. If you need a booklet, they're still available in the back. We also wanted to reach out to you online and recognize, hey, you might be wondering, well, I don't have access to this. Well, actually, you do. Uh, We've put a copy of it on our website, so you can go to our website and under... Uh, the, the Bible studies, you could find it right there, and you'll find a link where you can download uh, Proverbs chapter 3. We think that might be a good option for you. It really is a, a means where we're kind of giving you a way to work through the book of Proverbs where you could mark this thing up maybe more uh, than you might feel comfortable marking up your own Bible just to try to follow along, to try to see everything that's there. So we're hoping that if that works for you, you can. Let me just say what I say each week. Hey, you don't have to. If, this, if you're looking like, I don't want to do it. I want to just use my own Bible. Yeah, do that. Uh, if you don't want to mark the way that we do it, don't. This is really just meant to be something that would help you kind of approach this study. So that's what it is. Hopefully you have one. Let's go before God right now in prayer and ask for his work. And let's just submit our life to him. I'm going to ask him to open up things to, to, to us this evening. I hope you would do the same. Just asking that God would speak to you through his word. God, thank you for both this opportunity tonight to gather, to seek your face. Thank you for your word. As we journey here in Proverbs 3, Lord, I ask that you would draw us to what you have for us. I think about that familiar and yet wonderful promise that you tell us in the book of James. That if any of us lacks wisdom, we could ask you and you would give it to us abundantly. Without reproach, Lord, I to think about how amazing that promise is. And then I think about exactly what Proverbs is. It's a book of wisdom that you are giving us. So God, I, I'm just admitting need. You said if any of us lacks wisdom, we could ask. I'm asking for me and for us here this evening that you would give us wisdom That you draw us after your truth in your ways. And that tonight, you would speak to us in a profound and real way. We ask for that together as we just submit this time to you. And we thank you for your incredible faithfulness in all that you do. We honor you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. As we're journeying there, I want to just submit a truth to you that is solidly true. You know, God tells us in his word that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. That's an incredible reality. It's a reality that is meant to meet us in life, that his joy is would be strength to us. Now, that's true in so many ways, but there's a very certain way that that specific promise is given, and maybe you know what it is, so you may already be ahead of it, but if not, I want to invite you to think about it as we head into this section, because there's a place where God is inviting us to joy that might not have been the way that you thought God was going to bring you to joy. Well, That's kind of a a beginning. We'll get there in a moment. Let's go here. If you have your little notebook or you're going to follow along, you got Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 11 again, where it just begins with an address, where it simply says, my son. If you've been with us in Proverbs already, you might know in these first about 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs, nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, there's a number of father-son talks where the way Proverbs is addressed is if a father is sitting down with a son and speaking. We find ourselves in the fourth one of 10 talks that are found here in the book of Proverbs. Now, this is just a profound reality, and it's certainly, one more time, the way that God means you to hear this book. We sang it uh, this evening, you know, God, you're a good, good father, and recognizing he is, and yet longing that we would receive this evening exactly in that way. Well, this section begins with this place. He says, "'My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, "'nor detest his correction.'" So you can underline if you want, you can through it. Oh, I forgot, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's good that you can have a little thing like this. One of the things we've done is just to mark out those father-son talks. If you're doing so, you can do so at the beginning there in verse 11, and you could put it at the end of the chapter in verse 35. If you kind of are using that so you can say, okay, here's the fourth father-son talk. So helpful maybe if that works for you, that's kind of how, how I'm working through it. Let's go back now to where we were a moment ago where he gives us this invitation where he's speaking as a father to a child, and he says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. If you're gonna underline, you might just underline that idea of do not despise and not detest, just a place where he's saying that there is a way that he's longing for us not to hate something, not to you know, be in a place where we totally just don't embrace it, and the reality that he's inviting us to is God's discipline or the chastening of the Lord, or he'll say it again, just his correction, this place where God corrects, where God deals with us in a way that is discipline, that is his way of directing our lives in the things that he has for us. Now, that invitation is right here in the book of Proverbs. It's certainly inviting us to the book of Proverbs, but let's just be clear. We're talking about wisdom We're talking about learning wisdom, and here's one of the simple realities. If you want to grow to be someone who really walks in the wisdom of God, then there is this correction from God and this learning from it. It really is one of the keys of actually gaining godly wisdom, that if you want godly wisdom, the way that we get towards that is responding to His discipline. There really is no other way. Like if this is something that you pull back from, then you're pulling back from him growing you in his ways and growing you in the ways that would be blessings. And he's going to speak about that in incredible ways this evening, reminding us of how good this would be for us. But it is a place where we have to embrace it in this place where he's telling us, hey, I don't want you to despise this. I don't want you to in any way push back or pull away from this or cause it to be something that you're not embracing as he goes on to say it in verse 12, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. He says, here's the deal, you know, he does this. So there is this thing I'm going to underline, he corrects again, kind of is that following along. And he's just saying, okay, God does this because he loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. In fact, he's going to talk about this a number of times in the book of Proverbs, that discipline becomes, right discipline becomes a proof of love, even for us as families, calling us to, to raise our, our families that way. But he begins with this understanding that it is his mark of it, that there's a way that he disciplines our life or he corrects us, that brings us to a place of just embracing that he really does love us. Or we could put about it this way, correction really is a mark of being a child of God. It really is proof of that. It is really a mark of God's love. Now, I can say that because it's found right here, but the best commentary on this section is actually found elsewhere in the Bible. Some of you already know where it is, and you may be already be thinking about it, but it's found in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 5 through 13, the author of Hebrews puts it there, God puts it there, quoting from this section and then comments on it that just takes us a little bit deeper. So I'm going to put it up on the screen, but again, if you're writing it down, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 13. So he begins this quote there, and he says it this way. He says, "'You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord.' nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So he's quoting, obviously, Proverbs chapter 3. It says, did you forget this? Did you forget that this is what God has told us about this, this exhortation where he's telling us not to despise that for, continuing the quote, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It says, God, because God loves us, he disciplines us. He always does that to his children. So much so that the author of Hebrews goes on to say, if you endure chastening, then God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you know something about being disciplined by God, that's a mark of you being his child because God does it for all of his children. There's not a son to whom a, a father who's rightly being a father wouldn't discipline his child. So much more so with God, he says, if you are without chastening, of which all, that is all God's children, have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. It's a very challenging comment, but it's worth just pausing and saying. If you know nothing about being disciplined by God, then you have to honestly ask the question, are you really a child of God? Because if, you, if he doesn't discipline you regularly, if he's not at work in your life doing that, then it may be a mark that you're not his. And if that's you this evening, we would invite you even in this to come into a real relationship with God where he would be the God who would work in your life and faithfully he would do that. Well, again, that's an invitation. You have questions on that. We'd love to talk to you about it. But there is this sense of just understanding that this is a mark of us being his. Now, again, pausing and just saying that, I don't know if you ever think about it that way. I don't know if you ever consider God's disciplining work in your life in a way that's like, he loves me. I'm a child of God. I mean, that's just a a reminder of who I am. I mean, that's what he's telling us, that it should be something that behind the scenes we recognize his real care. Well, Hebrews goes on, says it this way, Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, or hopefully you did, um, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of his, his spirits and live? If we would respond to human correction in any capacity, so much more should we respond to God's discipline. For they, that is, human fathers or parents, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Parents did the best job they can. Now, some of you are like, that's it's probably true. We probably miss some of those opportunities we probably have. God never does. He disciplines us well, and he does it for the best interests. He does it to, to, to grow us in Christ-likeness, to grow us in holiness. Now, it's never enjoyable. That's just needing to be clear note as he just lays that out for us, lays out what it is. He says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. This is really well said, by the way. Nobody enjoys it. Nobody's like, oh, I love, I love being disciplined by God. It's like, no, it's, it hurts. It's painful. It's convicting. It's, it's a place where God shows us things about us, but it works in us. if we we will respond to it, it works a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the author of Hebrews gives us an application. He says, therefore, since this is so, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. He says, therefore, you should kind of be encouraged in the midst of this because that's how he began the whole section. He says, if you forgot that this is the way that God deals with us. Recognize it, recognize his love, his good purpose, his good aims, what God's doing in the midst of it, and be encouraged in the midst of that journey. Well, again, that's where we are in Proverbs, where he's telling us, hey, there's this way that you and I can approach wisdom that is going to be a place of responding to his correction." let's keep reading. So he, he tells us this, and he gives it to us as an application there in verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. I'm just going to circle the word happy, just worth kind of noting in the midst of this, and you could even put it over on the side if you want. I'm just going to say this is joy. This is, this is a place of happiness and joy for the person who finds wisdom, and I'll underline that, the one who gains understanding. Now, if you just isolated this verse from that which is around it, it could probably come across in some different ways. But if you rightly kind of connect this to what we just talked about, we're talking about discipline. We're talking about the one who is growing in God's wisdom, who's growing in God's corrections, that he's inviting us to a place of saying, if you're in that process of being disciplined by God, you should be happy. You should be happy. It should, it should mark how that works. And I just want to give you that invitation for a moment, a place where you recognize this is the way that God wants to do in our lives, wants to work in our lives, and it's the way He certainly does. So let's be practical for a moment. How does that happen? How does God actually correct us? Well, there's lots and lots of ways sometimes just by the Spirit of God, just by Him kind of speaking into our lives. Sometimes He can can use others who would kind of be a part of it, and we'd recognize that someone's saying something, but it's really God speaking to us. There's so many ways, but maybe one of the key ways is what we're doing even right now, is that He does this correction, does this work on our life very often through the Word of God. In fact, one of my favorite examples of it it's found in the book of Nehemiah. So again, if you're taking notes and you want to write it down there so you can remember to look at it more, maybe more later, you can write down Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. I'll put them on the screen for you. So we have this scene how unfolding in Nehemiah 8, and it says, So they read distinctly from the book of the law of, of God. They gave the sense and they helped them to understand the reading. Giving you a quick background, it was an amazing moment. It was actually a moment of revival. It was a moment of just this response where the people were turning to God in a really tremendous way. Ezra gets up and they just began opening up the scriptures to the people. And, and, it, and everybody was incredibly responsive. Like they were listening and understanding. So they just began reading the Bible, explaining it, and helping them understand it. Now, I wanna just say very clearly that's kind of what we try to do here. I can't promise that it always happens, but that's a pretty good template for what we try to do here on uh, Sundays, not Sundays and Wednesdays or approaching the Bible. We read it, try to understand it, and then we ask, like, so what does this mean for me? Like, how does that, how, how would that apply into my life? So that's what was happening, but it was happening in such a profound way because people actually were hugely paying attention and it was hugely making a moment a impact in the lives of the children of Israel. And so it goes on to say that, ne- that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites who were involved in this, that they said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God, do not mourn nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now the wording for this isn't like uh, a tender tear, you know, kind of like oh, this is just so good. No, it is actually the kind of thing, like a brokenness. Um, they they're they're crushed. I mean, as they began to unfold the word of God, they see their failures, they see their sins, they see the disobedience that they're in, and they're broken. They are broken. They, 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 it's as if they've seen their own brokenness. And so the tears, it's the kind of the, the word that's used here for tears is that kind of just, just sobbing, just they're, they're, they're just grieving over what's taking place in their lives, over what the word of God has now showed them in their lives. But Ezra and Nehemiah and all the Levites like, Hey, don't, don't, don't become overwhelmed by this sorrow. Don't let it meet you in that. And they tell them this, this day is holy. To our Lord, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ah, that's where I began with you just a few moments ago. It's an amazing promise that God is promising joy to be our strength. But let's just pause and just say, if you took this verse entirely out of its context, it could sound like a really um, don't worry, be happy kind of verse. You know, it's like, just be joyful, (laughs) like just smile, everything's good and and be joyful because that's going to be strength. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a God who meets us in so many ways and it's certainly a part of it, but that's not this. This joy is the response of being disciplined by God through his word and that working good in them. And he's telling them, hey, that should excite you this is a place for joy. When when you can be corrected by God, this is a beautiful place where you should say, this is a good moment. This is a joyful moment. Now, maybe it's already this way in your life. Maybe you already have this as kind of a a part of the way you do life. If not, can I just invite you to it? God loves us, and He loves us enough to discipline our lives. And one of the ways He does that is through the Word of God, where it should happen like it happened for them. Either it happens in a church service, or a Bible study that you're listening to online, or the Word you're reading all by yourself. And you read it, and you understand it, and then you apply it, and you're like, ow, like, you know, I know this is what God is saying, and I'm messing up. Like, I'm not doing, I'm not the person He's saying to me to be, I mean the word of God confronts us it shows us things that God is seeking to change and, and wanting to change in our lives like that should happen on a regular basis and when it happens sometimes our emotional response can be God hates me you know I guess I guess he's doing this because he doesn't like me to kick me. you know I mean this sorrow can overwhelm us instead of saying no 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 this is exactly where you're supposed to be. This is a really good moment. Like, this is how it's supposed to happen, so that somehow, even in the midst of the discipline, you can, you could, you should, be able to say, God, you love me. And right now, I just was reminded of that. You love me enough to correct me. You love me enough not to leave me the way I am, You've gone out of your way to show me something from your word, and God, I I need to grow. (laughs) I want to grow. But right now, I'm going to recognize this is a good moment. This is a good moment for me to be joyful that I'm a child of God. I mean, I'm not going to despise his chastening, as it says there in Proverbs 3. I'm not going to detest it. Instead, I'm going to say, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, And it can be, it could be a part where that actually becomes exciting. Now again, I'm not gonna guarantee that it is so for you. But I am gonna tell you, it's a really fun thing. Because sometimes it is that way for me. I mean, sometimes maybe I'm I'm wrestling with something or again, maybe there's something God's opening to me in his word and it does correct me. And that just should happen all the time. And literally, again, I don't wanna get you like, make myself sound like I'm always doing it right because I'm not, but sometimes I do this right, and it does, and I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm almost like, God, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're growing me. I'm so glad that there's, there's even conviction, but I'm just glad to know that you, you're in my life. This is a reminder that you're my father. I mean, right now, I'm getting convicted, but this is a reality of you in my life, and, and it's such a joy. I mean, it really can be joy, Joy in being convicted. Joy in being just, okay, that's a good thing. Now, again, it's not a perfect moment, but for some of you parents, you might have had a glimpse of it. It doesn't always happen, and again, parents, not always, God's perfect We're not, but sometimes when you're disciplining your kid as a parent, there can be that moment. That can be that moment where not only do they respond well to the discipline, but they respond well to you, and all of a sudden, they just, they love you, and they feel your love, and, and you have these moments like, I don't even, I just disciplined you, and you're like, now we're having this like tender, like, it's, it's a weird, but it's a beautiful part of that, and I just want to invite you to it. Now, very quickly, just saying this, so often people pull away from this for all the wrong reasons. Again, they despise God's correction. They they do exactly what Proverbs says not to do. They pull away from it, and we seem to be in that kind of season of church history. Now, again, I don't want to be like overly, critical of everything else. But, you know, there were moments in, in church history where, uh, you know, kind of churches were known as hellfire and brimstone, where guilt and, and just pressure were maybe very, very common in many circles. I think these days have probably passed. I don't know of any church, actually, that probably gets accused of being that way. But we actually are on the other side of it. So that it literally is kind of within a church's almost mission statement, where they will say something to the effect hey, this world has enough bad news. You don't need any more bad news. You know, our goal is to always tell you good things. Our, our goal is never to make you feel bad. Like, you don't need to come to church to feel bad. We are always going to be positive. We are always gonna, and, and I just wanna tell you, sometimes that sounds like a really nice thing. Like, oh, that's good. That's a really good thing. But I wanna tell you, we need God's discipline. We need a place where God would say, Hmm. You're falling short. Like, this is where I don't, I want to change your life in a beautiful way. And there's a way that we should fall into that. And so certainly, that's what Proverbs 3 is inviting us to. Into a space that we would embrace God's discipline. And so I'm just inviting you to do that, to do what it says there at the very beginning of it. Don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't detest it. Because whom the the Lord loves, he corrects. So as he's unpacking that for us, he continues. You can flip the page over to verse 14, page 5 there, and he just begins to reason with us, you know, what would be so good about this. In some sense, is this place where we would gain wisdom from God's correction. So he's just told us how good it would be, but now he just takes one of these kind of spaces in the book of Proverbs where it's very poetic, but where he's just going to tell us, why that wisdom that you would gain from listening to God's discipline would be good for you. So we're not going to spend a bunch of time in this little section. It's really going to run from, you know, about verse 14 to 18, and we're just going to kind of underline the definitions. And so I'll just do the first one there, her proceeds, he said, like what it's going to do in your life, proceeds are better than the profits of silver. The, the, as he lays out these things, he says her gain is, is better than fine gold. Like, this would be better than any of that stuff. Any money you could have, any, any things that are there on top of it, she is more precious. And so I'll underline just the word precious than rubies. Like, this wisdom, it's better. It's better than anything else you could have. And just kind of says it again there at the end of verse 15, in all the things that you may desire, they cannot compare to her. Like, there's nothing better than the wisdom that God would give you, and that comes through His discipline but you should love it. You should be like, I want that. That is better than anything else. And he begins to unpack a little bit what it would do in our lives. It says in verse 16, he says length of days is in her right hand. So I'll underline length of days. And her left hand are riches and honor. And again, he's just appealing to this, this father to son, like, this is what would make it so good for you to embrace God's discipline. This is why you should want that keep reading on the next page, verse 17, and you can continue to underline. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a a tree of life. It goes on to say that she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who retain her. That there would just be this space where you'd, you'd look on this and say, what an amazing space. I mean, just to look at this and say, you know, here he's telling us, like, this would do good in your life. Like, God growing you, disciplining you, showing his ways. It's so worth embracing everything that that is. And so he kind of returns to it. You know, as we notice again there in verse 18, he says, and happy are all those who retain her. And you ought to probably get it. I mean, you ought to be able to look back and say, that's what we just said in verse 13, where he began to tell us, happy is the man who finds wisdom. And so he's coming back to it and say, this is, this is a place that would bring you to true joy, to true happiness. If you would say, okay, God, I want to have your word correct me, and, and I want to receive those corrections as marks of your love for me, and I want it to do good in me. Wow. It really is good. It really is good. Now as he's expressing this invitation, this place that would invite us into his wisdom, he kind of just dives back for a moment. And part of this early phase of the book of Proverbs is still just explaining to us what would make this so good and, and what would make God's wisdom so good. And so we just keep looking, looking at it down there. In verse 19, he says it this way, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth and by understanding he established the heavens. He's going to continue that on the next page, but I'm just going to put a little note in mind. Again, it's not something you have to write, but if you want to, you know, it is this understanding that wisdom is one of the fundamental elements of the world, like behind everything that we could see, if we could look and see our world, just the, 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 the way it's been founded. And if you could you know, look at everything for that you know, makes up seasons and days and the tilt of the earth and the, and the path around the sun, and, and you would look and say there's so often just the right balance that God has built within our world, wisdom, so that everything around us is speaking of both beauty and power and everything that is there. He continues that, verse 20, next page. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down dew. Probably a lot of things behind that, but again, just kind of paying attention to seasons and how that whole thing works and the way both the dew in the morning, the rain that falls, and there's a way of seeing our world and just, I don't know if it ever hits you. Just like, wow, I mean, what wisdom flows in, in a creation that's been well designed and even in this, the, the, the way that sin has affected it, we can still feel it everywhere around us. Now, he kind of gives that as a backdrop as he's kind of continuing the argument. And so he picks it up there in verse 21. And one more time, he just looks at this and he says, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. And so if you want, you can just circle my son there. Uh, It's really still a continuation, though. I mean, some would say, are we in a different uh, father-son talk than what we began in in verse 10? Really not. It really flows in the Hebrew this way. It's pretty clear that we're still on the same trajectory. But in one sense, he's going back to it again. He's saying, so I've I've encouraged you to embrace God's discipline. I've told you how good it would be that God's wisdom is, is just undergirding all of creation. Like, you really, really want that. So he returns to his admonitions of saying, you know, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Like, this is something you should embrace. You should embrace God's wisdom. You should embrace his ways That's always a good piece of advice. It's always a good place for us to understand it. But again, in its context, really is inviting us to embrace the wisdom that we learn through his discipline. Again, I really think that's very much a part of it. Well, he continues and tells us a little bit of what that would do. So he told us how valuable it was in a moment ago. He told us it's better than gold, it's better than rubies, it's better than anything else you could ever desire. It's kind of a similar argument, but now in running from verse 22 to verse 26, he really begins to lay out blessings that would come into your life uh, through God's wisdom. So again, I'm just going to underline them. I'm going to use a different color because it's a little bit of a different thing. Or if you wanted to use a a circle or a box, you could do that. There in verse 22, he says, so they will be life to your soul. Like this would give you life. God's work, God's wisdom would bring life into your soul. It would be grace to your neck there would be this incredible space of, of everything that God would have there. These, again, are blessings of wisdom that would flow from verse 22 to verse 26, where he would say, hey, this will be very, very good in you. So turning the page, verse 8, we're just going to again kind of just follow the poetry and just underline the blessings. Underline the things that God's wisdom uh, would, would do in your life. And again, I'm just going to keep going with you, but if you wanted to do it on your own, you're welcome to as well, but just follow along. There in verse 23, it says, then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. Like this would be a place that would, you would be able to navigate life safely. You would be able to walk safely in, in the path that's before you and your foot wouldn't stumble like you would be protected from things that could trip you up and mess up your life. God's wisdom would be that that would help you make a journey in this life that's going down the right path where it's safe and you're not stumbling, which sounds incredible and wonderful. He says in verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. And so if you want, you can just underline, not be afraid and and sleep will be sweet. Again, he's telling us, hey, God's wisdom would rescue you, not only from the wrong choices, but even from worries and things that would cause you undue reason to be afraid. And he says that would bring you into a place of, of, of just sleep being sweet. Now, hey, very quick, just to make sure that we're clear, He's not saying, you know, like this would cure all insomnia. I mean, hey, if that's good, we'd package the whole deal. So many of us would be like, hey, I'm in. What do I have to do for that? But he is saying sometimes some of the insomnia that people feel is worry. And some of the things that keeps people, you know, just unable to really enter, he says, but if you walk in wisdom, you re- you could be rescued from that. There's so many things we worry about that we don't need to worry about. There's so many things that if we listen to God, we'd be like, well, why, why, why am I even worried? I don't know. I mean, He he tells, I mean, my God cares about me. He's got, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's, you know, the beginning and the end. There's so many things I don't need to worry about. He says, if you would embrace that wisdom, it would bring you into a place uh, of not having that. In fact, he goes more in verse 25, where he simply says this way, do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Now, we're getting kind of, it's a very powerful way of saying it, so I'm going to underline it just a little bit more. I'm just going to kind of just say, okay, you're not to be afraid. That's what he says. And I'm going to circle the word of sudden terror. He says, okay, I don't want you to do this. I want you to not be afraid of just catching you off guard by something that's unexpected. He says, it's not the way I want you to live your life, nor of, and so we have that idea of, of trouble from the wicked. He says, I don't want that to be the thing that you're going to be afraid of. In fact, I didn't underline it, but you might want to. Um, It's worth just noting what it says, when (laughs) it comes. It's not an if. It's not like, okay, that's never going to happen. It's going to come, but it doesn't have to terrify you. It doesn't have to terrify you. You don't have to be afraid of of sudden terror. You don't have to be afraid of trouble from the wicked when it comes because God's wisdom would rescue you from that. Like living a life that's saying, God, I want your wisdom to be that which would grow me and help me. It would bring me into everything that you would have for me. Now, he just follows that reasoning into the next verse, verse 26, because it begins by saying, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is the reason this would work, the for, the the reason that would work that because it's for the Lord. Because who he is, if you're, you know, that child of God that's letting him discipline you and grow you and shape you in his ways. Then what comes is he becomes your confidence. He becomes the one that gives you hope. He's the one that will keep you from you know finding yourself in the midst of it. He will be the one who will keep your foot from being caught. And it's just an incredible blessing of him saying, "This is what would make this show good." So again, I think about how Hebrews told it. He says, "You know, earthly parents they do the best job they can." but our heavenly father does the very best job. Our heavenly father, he's the one that if he does it, it is always for our good. And we should embrace that. We should embrace that in a way of saying, God, I want your, your ways. I, I long for your ways to work in my life. And one more time, that's again, part of this admonition, this place where he would invite us to that. Okay. Well, as we kind of have journeyed through that, we've watched this whole place where he's you know he's told us, hey, embrace God's discipline. You know, it, it would be valuable. It's part of all of creation, but it would work good in your life. The the rest of the chapter is kind of interesting as he kind of lays it out. He begins to kind of tell us some things that as we as we look at it from verse 27 to verse 35, there really are four, if we want to say, kind of random proverbs. That's going to be a big part of the book of Proverbs. That shouldn't be like too surprising to us. But there are going to be four things that are just proverbial wisdom. There are going to be four things that he's going to say, don't do this. Like, do not do these things. Now, I say random, but let's come back to it. Probably they're not random. Probably if we had lots of time, we could dive into it more deeply. This is the discipline of the Father. These are four ways that our heavenly father would correct us and kinds of things that he would correct us in where he would kind of as a heavenly father say, don't do that. Don't do that or I'm gonna have to discipline you. Like this is no for you. I don't care if everybody else does it, you can't. Like this is not what I want for your life. So what does that look like? What are these four things? Well, you can just kind of note them with me and we'll talk a little bit about them but simply to say, hey, there's a lot more if you have time to go into it and think about it more deeply on your own. The first one's there in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power of your hand to do so. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So he says, here's the thing. Here's what I want to tell you first. The first thing that I'm kind of telling you is is don't do this. If it's in your power to do good and it's in your responsibility to do good, you should do it. It's an interesting beginning, by the way, to this folly correction. Uh, We'd almost anticipate, like, don't do bad. Now, that's definitely a part of it, but he says, do good. If If it's in your power to do it, you should do it. I mean, that's really where God's going to lay it out. I mean, it's kind of the, you know, when Jesus gives us the, the, the you know, the, the that parable, hey, you know, do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. Or as James would tell us, if you know what's the right thing to do and you don't do it, it becomes wrong for us. It's sin for us. It's an interesting kind of high watermark to being a child of God. Like, I am called to do good. I mean, if, if, if you know, I should in no way refuse that. And again, that's kind of an interesting thing to think through. Like, why would you do that? Why, if you're here, he says, okay, don't who go good from those whom it's due when it's in the power of your hand to do so. You know, don't be this one who would say to your neighbor, you know, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. So you have a responsibility to do it and, and maybe you even owe it. Why would keep you back from doing that? I mean, selfishness, power, manipulation, bitterness. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that could cause you, but it's like, no, don't. You should always. yeah. You know, that the first piece of, of discipline from God is, is you do the right thing and, and, and don't delay. Don't, don't put it off. Do what you're supposed to do. You, when it's in your hand to do it, it's not that you can't do it, but someone would cause you to, that's just the way the world plays those games. You don't. Other people might do that, not you. I want you to do good. I want when it's in your hand to do it and it's your responsibility to do it, don't find an excuse not to. You do that. Much to say that's there. Well, flip the page over and we get to the second of the four little nuggets that he tosses at us. Verse 29, do not devise evil against your neighbor for he dwells by by you for safety's sake. So now it's kind of don't do bad. (laughs) First is don't, you know, Hey, you make sure to do good. Now don't devise evil. Don't, when you have someone who's next to you, your neighbor, don't, don't be trying to figure out how to do them evil. Like that, that should, you should, everybody around you should be blessed by being around you. One of my favorite descriptions is of Joseph. And when God was giving kind of a prophetic perspective, perspective of Joseph's life in Genesis, he said his branches ran over the wall. And it was this picture that everywhere that Joseph was blessed, everybody around Joseph was blessed. Because in his blessing, others were touched by that he says, that's you. I mean, you should be the kind of person that some people are like, you know, they're just kind of being around you. It's safe, you know, and, and you should be the kind of person that doesn't take advantage of other people, that doesn't devise, try to think about evil against people. So, again, hey, you do the right thing. You know, don't withhold being good. Hey, don't do the evil thing is the second piece of, of, of wisdom that he kind of gives there, that he puts in, in the midst of it. And then he gets to that third piece of wisdom in verse 30 where he says, do not strive with a man without cause. If he's done you, no harm. It's a fascinating little piece. It says, don't get involved in an argument that's not yours. Like, don't don't strive with a man without cause. If he's done you, no harm. This is actually a really huge piece of wisdom. In fact, it's going to come up a number of times in the book of Proverbs. And I just want to say it in a very kind way. It would be good wisdom for us don't get involved in, I mean, don't get involved, in, don't strive and get in an argument. It's not your argument. It's not your battle. It's not your fight. It's a weird space, but I, I, I think about it. I mean, I wonder what it looked like in the days of Solomon. I'm sure it existed, but part of me wants to go, you'd see nothing. Do you know nothing of social media? I mean, like, this is what social media is. This is people getting into arguments. It's like, don't even your argument. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, it's like, it's like, don't. I mean, don't 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 dive into those spaces. Don't be that person that, that is, you know, you know, getting into arguments that are not yours to argue, that is not yours to, you know, if, if it's without cause, if they've not done you harm, that is not the space that should cause you to want to engage. And yet we live in a world that is growing in animosity, and antagonism, where everybody has a chip on their shoulder over everything and he's just saying, not you. <laughs> That's not going to be you. That's not the way I want you to live your life. Wow. So some pretty good little nuggets he's just giving here from a father to, to a son, and he gives us the last of the four. There in verse 31, Do not envy the oppressor. Choose none of his ways. Don't desire that which is people who are doing it the wrong way. Don't envy, don't love the life of the, of the wicked. Choose none of his ways. Now, that actually is a pretty fundamental lesson to the book of Proverbs, and it's going to really hold kind of this contrast between doing life right and doing life wrong. So let's do this. I want you to just kind of walk through these next couple uh, verses with me, and we want to just note the things that he's going to tell us, where he's going to tell us, hey, I don't want you to envy. I don't want you to long for the life of the wicked. I don't want that to be a part of uh, of what you're looking for. And so, What I think I'd like to encourage you to do is maybe circle, if you would, uh, the kind of the descriptions of the wrong way. Now, if you have colors, you happen to be doing colors, like you might want to use red because we'll use red for that. That's what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to just circle the word oppressor. That's going to be helpful for us. And we'll kind of look at more in a moment. But again, he's going to give us four reasons. Like four reasons you shouldn't look at the person who's doing life wrong and want to do life that way that why they're going that direction, you shouldn't want that. And so he's going to give it to us in these next couple of verses. So let's take just a moment, just kind of to make you engage or give you that moment to engage. I'd just like you to go through these verses and, and do that, where you would just maybe, again, however you want to do it, I'll do this first one with you. Let's circle the words that are the negative words. And so you would have it there in verse 32. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. So if I was encouraging you to do it, i just circled the word because we're describing the, the person who's doing it wrong as perverse. Then I want you to look for the description of the way that someone's doing it right. But his secret counsel is with the upright. So I'll put a square around that. Now, you don't have to do it that way. You can underline. I'm using kind of like red and green. I think it kind of makes sense. Again, you may not have colors, but red, no. Green, Yes. So would you take the next three verses, just go do it really quick, all on your own, circle the the bad descriptions, put a square around the good descriptions. Circle the terms that describe the person who's doing a life wrong. How God would kind of identify these who are doing life wrong and put a square around the ones who are doing it right. Each verse has one of each. So you're there in verse 32, you get to go verse 33, 34, and 35. Again, you probably did that already, so I'm just going to keep going with you and we'll do it. So we're going to go to verse 33 and we'll we'll look at there. So he's going to say, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. So wicked or the wicked is the description of the person who's doing it wrong. But he blesses the home of the just. So put a square around the the one who's the just. He's going to do it right and, and, and go in the right way. Then verse 34, he scorns the scornful. Scornful is the description of the person who's doing it wrong but he gives grace to the humble. So again, I'm going to put a square kind of around the word humble, calling us into that life of, of what that would look like. Then in verse 35, last one, he gives it to us again. He says, the wise will inherit glory, but the shame should be the legacy of fools. So the wise would be the good, the fool would be the one who's doing it wrong. Okay. So we're seeing a definite contrast, and it's definitely going to be something we need to think through in the way that we're going to do this in the book of Proverbs. So as we think this through, hey, I want to just kind of explain, and then honestly ask for help. So we're trying to figure out how to do this. This is a new way that we're teaching. We haven't used one of these little silly books, booklets before. We may never do it again. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. But one of the things that's helpful in the book of Proverbs is to be able to follow the poetry, uh, the way that... Uh, you know, lines either contrast or complement, and and to watch the way that God builds it. That will definitely be true the more that we go into it. So I'm just going to experiment with a couple ways, and I'm just going to say, if if you have a better way of doing this, if you're taking notes, you're like, Jim, mine's going to work better, take a picture, show me. But I just want you to see these verses are all where there's a contrast. Every verse has a place where it gives us one thing and then contrasts it with its opposite. So everyone has the word "but." So I'm going to put a, a little, you know, yellow circle around the the word "but." Again, if you don't have colors, you can do something else. Put a triangle, something like that, that would say, "Hey, that's the that's the place that everything's you know contrasting two things." And then I'm just gonna put kind of a plus sign and a minus sign, because these are the way it works. Now, it doesn't always do that in Proverbs. Sometimes it's like plus and plus, or plus and and, and kind of going into it will give some different symbols. But for now, I'm just gonna put a little minus sign by the negative, and I'll put a little positive sign down there for the positive. You don't have to do that. Again, if you're using colors, colors might be enough, or if you have a better way. But I think somehow it's just good to see it, to say, okay, this is the bad, and this is the good. The bad is that the perverse person, he says, is an abomination. So in that same color, I'm just going to underline it, saying he's an abomination, abomination to God. Like to do the wrong thing, God looks at that, and there's just, that, that is such a powerful word. It's an abomination to God. That God looks at it and sees it not just as wrong, but horrible, but God's secret counsel is with the upright. When he looks at those who are doing it right, God would give them counsel. God would guide their lives. It's a good reason to kind of see the contrast between the two and to see the things that are there. Keep going. Verse 33 will do the same thing. Kind of, kind of put a little circle, you know, just around the word that's but there. So again, we see that there is this place that's going there. Kind of put a negative sign behind the negative, which he says, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. And so again, I'm just going to underline the word curse there. Where God says, you know, the one who's going to do wicked, God will curse them. God will bring just bad in the midst of that, but then in the positive, putting a little positive sign at the second half of the verse, but he blesses, and I'll underline, he blesses the home of the just. Again, you're looking at two very different lives. It might be worth noting, and again, I'm using colors. I recognize not everybody can, or you might even do a better job, but I just find it interesting that he's focusing in this verse on, on the home. He says, I'll curse the house. I'll bless the home. You know, like you, you, you choose which way this is going to go, and you're either going to get the curse or the blessing from God by the way that you choose and, and, and the way that that walks through. Then he says in verse 34, again, just kind of circling the, the word but, that kind of gives us that kind of contrast. He gives us the negative. Surely he scorns, and, and it's where God looks at and with a, you know, anger, with a, a place where he would deal harshly with the scornful. But he gives grace. Gonna, you know, look there and put a positive sign by that. And again, just underline grace there. Huge biblical principle. <laughs> to the humble, he gives grace. To the one who's prideful and scornful, he's going to give, you know, they're going to receive that which is going to, you know, flow into their lives that way. And bring in trouble and trial and, and just pain in the midst of it. And so the last verse does it again. Interesting enough, if you're paying attention, it reversed it. Uh, put it a different way. We, we still get the but that kind of contrasted, but this time we began with the positive, where the other three verses began with a negative, and he says the wise will inherit glory. What will be theirs will be a glory at the end of it, but the negative side, he says, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And it's interesting to think about this. And again, we don't have time to go into it, but just the poetry of this is fascinating because you're looking in one sense at the end of life, but he puts it in two different perspectives. He says, you know, the shame that it's going to happen to those who go wrong, that's going to be their legacy. That's going to be what they leave behind. That's going to be the impact that their life makes. It's going to be shame. But the wise, they're going to inherit not only what we leave behind, but what we embrace. And there's a beautiful kind of just a contrast that's being laid here, but it's showing us the life that's worth living and and, and the way that's worth living. Now, again, we just did a whole bunch of underlining and plus signs and minus signs. I don't know if it helped. But it was in some way that this is kind of the end of the argument from the father to the son, where he's encouraging him to a life of wisdom, encouraging him to a life of responding to God's discipline. Now I'm just going to zoom out and put it all on the screen there. You have it on your, your pages so you can see it. Mine's a little bit different because I had to put verse 31 up at the top over there that is the beginning. But I just wanted you to see this final exhortation, which says, "I don't want you to love the life of the wicked." Don't look at the people who are doing wrong and want what they have. I want you to want what God wants for your life. I want you to long for what, for what God has. And, and as you're trying to think this through, just go through and think it through in the different ways. Let's just go and read the words that are the bad descriptions uh, of those who are going to go wrong. He says they're perverse. You know, they're wicked. They're scornful. They're fools. He says if that's what they would be like, that's the life that's bad. But let's go back and read the good ones. Just kind of beginning there in verse 32. They are upright just, humble, and they're wise. Like that's the life you want. You want a life that would bring you in that way. Why? Well, again, he just tells us. You know, as we think about the negative life that where I circled them in the thing, the the underlines there, the wicked life, it's an abomination. It is cursed. It is scorned. It's this place where it's shame. Like that's the life that would be laid out there. That's the things that would go wrong. But if you would choose the life that is wisdom and saying, "God, I want what Your ways is," you go back and read it. You know, it's secret counsel. He blesses them. He gives grace. He they inherit glory. I mean, it's it's a life that's worth living. It's a it's a place that's worth going. And He's inviting us to this. He's inviting us into a life that would say, "Hey, I I want that." Now that's a pursuit that would choose God's ways, choose what He wants, and. Again, I just take a moment to say that's really where Proverbs is calling you to. And God is investing himself into this. If you're his child, he is trying. He is disciplining you. I know this. Whether you are faithful to respond to it or not, God disciplines all of his children. Doesn't mean they always respond well to it. For some of you parents, you would understand. Sometimes you discipline your kids and just, you know, it was the right thing to do, but it didn't do any good. Like they weren't listening. They just, were, they just made them more rebellious, but you did it anyway and that's what God does to you, but he's inviting you to respond to it, to say, I want, I don't want to be a a child that ignores God's corrections. I don't want to be one that says no to when he would show me wrong and try to correct my life. That should be my my whole journey, because I'm in this process of growing in holiness and dealing with sin all the days of my life. That's what my whole journey is going to look like down here, of a place of needing God to correct my life, And I should not hate that. I should not despise that. I should welcome it and say, God, I'm so glad you love me. I'm so glad you love me enough not to leave me this way. I'm so glad you love me enough to want to make me the man that you want me to be, the woman, you might say, as God wants you to be. And I just invite you to that. So, we're going to close there, and and you can you know take this booklet and do. You can add to it again. We've given it to you, so you can make more notes on it. There's much, much more you can dive into. You can ask us questions, but I just want to end again with this invitation to wisdom, to this life that would be the upright, the just. You know, it would it would be the one who's humble and wise, and say, "This is the life that would bring both both help and wonder." and glory, and, and bring you to a life where just walking in the things that he has, I invite you to that tonight. So let's pray for it right now. Ask God to meet us, and then we'll close together in worship. If you have questions, you can ask us. We'd love to be a part of that. Father, right now we come to you, and I think about how we get to speak to you, even as I just did. You're a heavenly Father. God, for every single Christian in this room, For every Christian who's joining us online, every Christian that's in our overflow, we are your children. That's what you've done. You've brought us into a relationship with you, and one of the marks of that is you love us enough to discipline us, that your discipline is actually proof of how much you love us. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for not giving up on us, Thank you that you who have started a good work in us are faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. That you're still engaging, you still are embracing, you're still seeking to grow us in your ways. God, would you forgive us where we have despised this, where we've pushed back and not welcomed your discipline? Would you forgive us where we haven't sought to learn the lessons that you're seeking to teach us? God, I look at just this closing argument and just think, of the, of the good life and the life that's worth living and the life that's an eternal life and the misery of a life that is chosen to go wrong. God, we ask. We ask that you would draw us to lives that would respond to you well, that would be in that right space of this. And I pray for just all of us right now, where that's happening, you would just grow us in that. You would help us to be the one who would respond to you and, and to your work in us. God, I do ask if there's any here right now that don't know you, that they're outside of this, that they are not have a relationship with you, that even this idea of discipline would wake them up to recognize they don't have that. Whatever their understanding is of church or religion, it's, it's formality, it's going through the motions. It's not this place of a, of a heavenly father that disciplines their children, but it's a beautiful relationship, and I pray you draw them into it. God, right now I ask for that, and I pray that you would meet us and draw us into the life that you have for us. We ask for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen.